We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Hi everyone. Um, this is the first time I've um, given a talk in my coat. <laughs> um, great. So just to begin with, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what you wanted to be when you grew up, when you were a child. Okay. <laughs> Great. And <laughs> Great. Anyone got any crazy examples of things you wanted to be? No. Peter? <laughs> An archaeologist. That sounds fantastic. That's not crazy. Sorry? Cleaning lady. Okay. That's yeah, a little bit different. <laughs> Great. Okay. Great. So when I was 10, I decided that I really wanted to be an astronaut. Um, and for a little while, um, space was my obsession. So I borrowed lots of books about space from my school library. Um, I watched a film called Space Camp USA from the, the 80s on repeat. Um, and I even wrote my own book about space, and I'm sure I still have it, but I, I couldn't find it um, when I was prepping this talk. <coughs> so, sadly, I didn't get to be an astronaut in the end, um, but some people have. Um, and in 1968, an astronaut called William Anders took a photograph, which should appear, there we go, and sent it back to Earth. And this photo became famous because it was the first time that humanity had been able to see our home, the whole of our home, um, um, from beyond Earth in a colour photograph. And this image is now known as Earthrise. Okay. So um, as someone who wasn't born in 1968, I find it really hard to imagine a time when we didn't have this image and we didn't know what this looked like. So the books that I borrowed from my school library included several images like this. And I would imagine we, you know, we've all grown up seeing images like this, haven't we? Um, so my dad was a teenager in the 1960s and he's told me how exciting it was back then to watch space launches on television and to see things like Earthrise for the first time. And today, um, Earthrise is credited with fueling a rise in environmental awareness around the world. So seeing our whole planet help make people aware that it has finite resources and that what we do in one part of the world can have an impact in other areas. It's something we need to cherish and look after if we want it to keep sustaining us. Um, so Friends of the Earth was founded just one year after this photograph was taken and then three years after it was taken Greenpeace was founded so it, it really did fuel that, that awareness. But of course, we've always had a mandate to care for creation. So long before we built spaceships um, and blasted into space, God called on humans 
all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, to care for a garden. And the people whose lives we read about in the Bible knew nothing of North America or um, Australia, um, let alone what Earth looked like from space. But God called on them over and over to care for what they did know of and for the world that he'd placed them in. Okay. So obviously, since Genesis chapter 1, we've gradually expanded our horizons. We've traveled over land, built boats, sailed across seas and oceans. We've mapped out the continents. We know what that looks like now. But throughout history, whether what we can see extends as far as our own garden um, or as far as the whole earth in one photograph, we have a mandate to live in harmony with all of it. So our current teaching series is called One Another. And in Romans 12, 16, Paul calls us to live in harmony with one another. So I think that'll be up. Yeah. Um, so he talks about um, living in harmony with one another and a few verses before being devoted to one another in love. Okay. So, of course, he's talking about people being devoted to other people. But actually, the only way in which we can properly live in harmony with others is if we also live in harmony with the earth, which is sustaining the whole of humanity and other species. And um, living in harmony with one another doesn't just mean an absence of conflict. It means proactively ensuring that the way in which we live isn't preventing others from also living well. So you might have heard the expression, live simply, so that others may simply live. Okay. So there are lots and lots of ways in which we live disharmoniously with each other, and I'm sure we're all aware of, of some of those, um, <coughs> and disharmoniously with creation. So we're not going to talk about all of them this afternoon, but I am going to focus on um, the climate emergency, and in particular its impact on food. So a couple of weeks ago, you probably saw the headlines about, about the climate crisis because lots of world leaders gathered in Glasgow for um, the 26th COP conference. So that's an annual opportunity for nations to gather and talk about how to address um, the climate emergency. So it, and as is often the case, it produced quite mixed results and in, in some respects was, was disappointing. Um, for the first time ever, they talked about ending the burning of fossil fuels, um, which is good, um, but unfortunately they didn't, didn't ultimately agree to do that. Um, 130 nations agreed to work together to reverse deforestation, which is great news because that's the cause of a third of our emissions globally. Um, but on the other hand, as the conference closed, scientists said that based on the decisions we'd made in Glasgow, we're, we're still on track for at least two degrees centigrade of global warming, um, which will be catastrophic for some, some parts of the world. Okay. On the topic of COP, I think there's a photograph. Um, here we go. So I, I was going to play spot the open heavener, but I think the picture's a bit too far away. So, <laughs> so there are three open heaveners in that photo. photo. There's myself and also Ali and Ruth Led from OH1. So we marched alongside approximately 100,000 other people on the 6th of November to ask world leaders to, to take this seriously. And we're standing here with 30 other members of an organization called um, Christian Climate Action. And there were also members of Christian Climate Action at about 10 other locations in the UK at other marches. Um, and loads of other Christians from, you know, from Tear Fund and, and Christian Aid who were in the thick of these marches. Um, yeah, so we were there saying, 
we'd like to see the emergency yeah, taken seriously and creation looked after. Okay. So um, I said that I was going to talk about how this impacts on our food. So when I was asked to do this talk and I was given the dates um, to talk in OH2 and then in OH1, I thought it would be autumn. <laughs> and I thought that we would have like golden leaves falling off the tree and I wasn't anticipating snow. Um, <laughs> so if we assume it's still a, a little bit autumnal, um, autumn is the time of year, isn't it, that we bring in the harvest. Um, and yeah, so I thought it would be good to think about this through the lens of food. So a few food facts. Um, according to the UN, globally we produce enough food to feed up the entire human population one and a half times over. But in 2020, it's thought that 811 million people faced hunger. The UK is the fifth richest nation in the world, yet in the year 2020 to 2021, two and a half million people used a food bank. Um, and that was a rise of 600,000 on the year before. But at the same time, we waste in the UK 6.6 million tonnes of food. So while some of us in the UK are wasting food, others are, are struggling to get hold of enough to eat. And wasted food, as it, as it um, decomposes, is, again, an impacts on climate change. Okay. So there's several reasons why we have that disparity in terms of some people having too much and, and some people not having enough food. Um, but some of those reasons relate to how we treat the planet. So I'm sure a lot of us are aware that, that human actions are causing climate change. So since the start of the Industrial Revolution in the 1850s, when we began burning fossil fuels in large quantities, um, the planet's gotten warmer. So far, it's about 1.1 degrees centigrade warmer. And one consequence of that is that the seasons are shifting in many parts of the world. So rainy seasons and dry seasons are becoming much less predictable, and that's making it harder to grow crops in some parts of the world, and it's threatening food security. So in early 2020, East Africa suffered an unusually early rainy season, and that led to a locust invasion. Okay, so I think that might be coming up in a minute. So the locust swarms destroyed crops, trees, and pastures, and that threatened food security. Um, it was the worst outbreak in 25 years, and it's thought that climate change and extreme weather events were relevant factors behind that outbreak. So climate change makes extreme weather events more likely to happen with more frequency, and when they do happen to be more extreme. Okay. Um, again, relating to food, since the start of the Industrial Revolution, the oceans have absorbed more than 80% of the excess heat in the climate system. Um, so at the minute, the oceans are shielding us a little bit from the, um, the greenhouse gases we've put into the atmosphere. But in doing that, they've become more acidic and therefore less productive. So that, that along with overfishing, threatens the marine resources that feed 3.2 billion people. So a lot of people in the world rely on the, the oceans for their, their protein. Um, in the Arctic regions, changes in snow cover lake and river ice and permafrost have disrupted food supplies from herding, hunting, fishing and gathering activities. So again, people in those parts of the world are, are struggling to get the amount of food they could before. 
And we're also affecting the, other, the ability of other species to eat. So I think there's a picture of a puffin, and that puffin's got sand eels in its mouth. So in the UK, puffins eat sand eels. But as the sea gets warmer due to climate change, the sand eels are all migrating north. Um, the puffins don't realise that fast enough, and they lose their source of food. So we've seen in the UK in the last few years that the puffin population is crashing. Okay. So we're talking about living in harmony with one another, and I think it's fair to say that um, ensuring that everyone can eat is a, is a pretty basic part of doing that. Um, and in a world where we produce 50% more food than we need, if everyone isn't adequately fed, then we've definitely not cracked living in harmony yet. Yet really, it's our um, desire, I guess, to consume more stuff, which requires more and more energy, which requires the burning of fossil fuel, that means that others are, are struggling to simply grow food and to eat. Okay. So, yeah, that's just a small snapshot of the way in which climate change is affecting food. It's obviously affecting lots of other things as well. But thinking about what our response to that might be as Christians, um, in a moment I'm going to kind of put up on the screen some practical ways in which we might respond to climate change. But before we did that, I wanted us just to think for a moment beyond those sort of practical things um, and think about how our faith fits in all of this. Um, so we, we're followers of Jesus Christ, aren't we? And that means that our primary identity is as children of God. And that really is where our sense of purpose and our sense of contentment should come from. Um, and ultimately, the climate emergency is being driven by our attempts to find contentment somewhere else. So we want to own more stuff, and we're often told by advertising that we need more stuff. We want bigger houses or bigger cars or to travel more, um, or to have the latest model of something that we've already got. Um, it was recently Black Friday, and often that's an opportunity, isn't it, to, to buy a load of stuff that we don't necessarily need. So all of that requires the use of raw materials and the burning of fossil fuels, which leads to the creation of more emissions, and that's, that's what make, is making our, our planet warmer and uh, risking the survival of, of both humans and other species. So I guess, aside from the practical things that come up on the screen, something to consider is, is where is our sense of contentment coming from right now? Um, yeah, if you're a student or a recent grad and you're still making decisions, I guess, about the direction of your life will take... Um, then, then what are we wanting to pursue? Is it, is it the job that pays the most money so that we can have all the stuff that the adverts tell us we need? Or is it that we're going to pursue the kingdom of God? Um, and, and yeah, God's call on our life is different for each of us, but we are all cared, called um, to care for the creation that he's placed us in. Yeah. So what, what decisions might we all make now and in, in the coming weeks that will help us to steward creation well throughout our lives okay and that will ensure our lifestyle um, cares for the most vulnerable people on earth okay there's um, a Christian project called joy in enough um, and I love that expression can, like can we find joy in enough um, I, I think anytime I see something about that project I think do I have joy in enough and I really don't um, but I, yeah it's something to work towards isn't it okay so, um, 
In Deuteronomy 24, um, the Israelites were instructed to only take what they needed of the harvest and to leave some of it for the most vulnerable people amongst them. So in that chapter, it says, when you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. So our lives are very different to the Israelites. We don't have to go out and and harvest our crops. Um, We typically just pop to the supermarket. Um, But we're still all called to play our part in making sure that that we're all provided for within creation's means. Okay. And then the last thing I wanted to um, mention before we talk about the sort of practical things we can do, I think as I was um, kind of putting, putting together this talk, I was like conscious that there might, might be people here who feel um, maybe anger or upset towards um, older generations who've, who've caused or ignored, or maybe had too weak a response to the climate crisis. Um, Yeah, so we've known about the climate crisis for a really long time. We've known about it for decades, and we've known really what the solutions are for for three or four decades now. So it's incredibly frustrating sometimes to think that, yeah, that we've known that, and we've, you know, people older than us didn't do what needed to be done. (coughs) But again, I think as Christians and, and as followers of of a God who has infinite um, love and grace and mercy for all of us, it's, I think I was just thinking, what do we do with that anger? Um, do we hold on to it and harbor it, or do we take it to God? Um, and can we have grace for those who've maybe handed us a bit of a big problem? Um, do we recognize and confess our own complicity in it, because we're, most of us are still living high-carbon lifestyles? Um, And can we find a way to lament for all that we've already lost to climate change whilst also holding on to hope in a God who's still working in our world? So I'm not expecting you to to do all of that in the next five minutes, but they're questions to think about if if you've ever felt that way. So moving on to what we can do practically, I think there'll be a, a list of things coming up. So first of all, I think it's important to say we can all do something, and there are things we can do, but we can't do everything. So um, I think the environmental issues that we face, um, especially climate change, can feel a bit overwhelming. Um, And it can feel like, what on earth can I do as an individual? You know, I'm just one person. um, And and yeah, and how can I I stop the burning of fossil fuels? But it is the case that there are things that we can all do in our everyday lives, and we are all called to partner with God in looking after creation. So the actions on the next slide, yeah, are things that we can all do. So Sorry to turn my back on you. Um, I'm just going to read through them. So you might want to find out what your carbon footprint is, and that might give you some ideas about ways in which you might start to cut it. Um, You might like to monitor your energy usage at home. Just take a weekly meter reading and pop it on a chart on the fridge and see if knowing what you use has an impact on what you use. I've I've seen that in houses I've lived in have quite a dramatic impact. You might want to think about cutting down on your consumption of meat and dairy, which are quite large parts of the emissions of our diet. Um, 
You might want to think about giving up fast fashion and thinking about not buying clothes for a period of time or buying secondhand clothes or ethically produced clothes. You could think about replacing um, driving with cycling, not in the snow, but when it's not snowing. <laughs> and that, that's just a few examples. But if you wanted to delve into this a bit deeper, there's a fantastic book that was published last year by a lady called Ruth Valerio, um, who's a Christian and is an expert in all of this. And she's written an amazing book called Saying Yes to Life. Okay. But then, as I said, there are things... We can't all do everything. We can't do everything that needs to be done. So there are some things that need to be done at a systemic level. Um, we need our governments to make changes, which is why it's, it is good that they they were meeting in Glasgow. Um, and we need large organisations to do things. So I think, yeah. So since early May, um, some of us have been holding a vigil outside our MP's office. So our local MP is a lady called Jane Hunt, and. Um, a local group called Christian Climate Action Loughborough organised a vigil, although it's now attended by lots of people, many of whom aren't, aren't Christians. Um, and there are people from about five different churches involved. So we, we simply stand outside Jane's office every Friday from 8 to 9.30 um, and with various banners. Sometimes she comes out to talk to us, other times she doesn't. We get a lot of passing traffic because it's rush hour and it's a busy road. Um, and anyone is welcome to join us. Um, obviously, yeah, wear big coats at the minute. Um, but we've really, we've seen some impact of that. We get a lot of people tooting their horns in support as they pass, people stopping to chat to us. And um, Jane Hunt recently agreed to attend a course, which I've been running in conjunction with another community group in Loughborough. So over the last two Wednesday evenings, and also the next, forthcoming Wednesday evening. She's, she's been on a Zoom call for a couple of hours with myself and um, various of the people from Loughborough who want to learn more about the climate emergency. So that, that's been um, amazing because I asked her thinking she would say no um, and then got a bit nervous when she said yes. Um, but that's, that's been good. Um, that course is called a carbon literacy course and we've been running them around for people living in Leicestershire throughout um, lockdown um, with some funding from Leicestershire County Council and we're running the final one in February so again if you did want to delve a bit deeper um, come and ask me at the end we haven't set a date yet but it will be at some point in February and it will actually be in person we're hoping okay um, and then yeah post COP obviously COP has happened but you, you can still ask government to make changes and Christian Aid have got a fantastic Christmas card campaign which you can sign a virtual online Christmas card on their website for Boris Johnson asking him to make good on the pledges that were made at COP. And the final thing I've put there is we're hoping to organise an eco-film night in January in Open Heaven which will be at St Peter's Centre. Okay, okay. so we're going to have a bit of time in a minute to think through our responses and if there's any of these that we, we would like to, to do. But I'm also just finally going to talk about what Open Heaven is doing as a community. So I think that's my the final slide. So as a church, we're currently working towards Eco Church Bronze Award. So Eco Church is a nationally recognised award, which is organised by a charity called Arosha. And there are more than 300 churches in the UK from a range of denominations and church streams which are registered with Eco Church. 
So at the minute, we're working on a series of steps where we look at our building, um, the land around our building. So this, by building, I mean St. Peter's. Um, our worship and teaching, our community and global engagement, and the lifestyles of our community. Uh, and much of that work is being done by Izzy Lowings, who, who um, is our operations manager. And we're hoping in early 2022, we'll receive an Eco Church Bronze Award. Um, which will be fantastic. Okay, and as part of that, we earlier this year formed an Open Heaven Eco team, um, which has been meeting to kind of advise the church on what on what we do in terms of creation care. So that consists of um, Jez Gowers Crummy and Laura Zachariah from OH2, um, Ali and Ruth Led from OH1, and also myself. So if you have any ideas, please do let one of us know because we'd love to hear about other ideas things we can do.